0: Borough.com slash ACAST.
2: What form is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those boys. The second captain's world service. I said I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain,
1: whatever. On the face of it, Wales versus England in the Six Nations this Saturday featuring the worst Welsh team in living memory against an England team described by its own coach as not good at anything (laughs) promises to be one of the most underwhelming additions in the 140 year history of this grand old fixture but even a crap Wales-England is surely better than no Wales-England at all (laughs)
0: <laughs> philosophical start today Hi Murph uh, Owen oh, if you're offering me oh, Oblivion On the England-Wales front Or uh, a, a playing e- A playing Even of this substandard quality I will Two take poor sides Substandard England-Wales looking it out Listen It's always better If they're both substandard At the same time As opposed to One high mm. The other low you yeah, know, yeah. they're they're just meeting at a level of crapness that may also, give us a very entertaining game.
3: Also, it's enjoyable watching Ireland, the greatest team in the history of the game, mm. doing their stuff. But it feels even better when you then watch another <laughs> Six Nations game and those two yep. teams are crap. Hey,
1: Ken, how are you? Very well, Dan, how are you? I will say for a certain very niche subgenre of mm. people in our society, it's very important that game goes ahead because... I'm getting killed with these Ireland fixers why are we on a quarter past two every Saturday <laughs> I'm on Premier Sports I'm, I'm busy oh, charting man. Arsenal's rise to supremacy in the Premier League and I keep getting so I basically can't watch any of these Ireland matches live but it's really pissing me off so at least if the wales England game I've got that to look ahead yeah. to yeah, after that's true. come off air I, I need I, that to remain we're
0: honestly at 2.15 on a Saturday 2. 15 again 2.15 again
1: yeah the, the Grand Slam decider is uh, I think 4.45 or something like that so at yeah. least I'll
0: get most of that the Grand I,
1: Slam decider uh oh <laughs> Scotland fans have already just recoiled in horror there I'm not sure when <laughs> the Scotland game is and to a We'll, we'll hammer the Scots. And then, we'll
0: beat them in February. We'll geez, beat them in March. We
1: are turning into ourselves, aren't we? This is what happens yeah. when your team is good at sport. That's why we're New Zealand.
0: Uh, two, we new Zealand. two, we full weekends in a row now. We've played really well. So uh, yeah. try
3: not being cocky when you're this good, though.
0: It's <laughs> Jesus, I like the new Simon. You cockies. (laughs) Okay, so tell us this
1: strike. Now, like a lot of things, it could well get sorted by the weekend. Nope.
3: Yeah, for the purpose of this podcast, I'm I'm
1: really hyping up the (laughs) idea that it's going to be, this match won't go ahead. What are the Welsh players threatening strike over?
3: They've given the WRU until Wednesday to meet their demands. And if those demands are not met, they'll go on strike for the England game in Cardiff the weekend. That's pretty clear. Players aren't asking too much of the shambles of an organisation. We Mm. did cover them a few weeks ago. Uh, The WRU. They want their contracts sorted out, essentially. So there's about 90 of their pro players don't know if they have a rugby career beyond the end of this season.
0: That seems like a lot for a country with only three professional teams.
3: Yeah. Mm. (laughs) It's basically, there's a few of them, like a few of the, you know, more famous guys have their contracts sorted, but it's the vast majority of them. And then the, the guys who are already sorted out are backing them. So they're unified. The The sort of average provincial player is unified with the top Alan Wynne-Jones mm. types. So no matter what happens anyway, um, the WRU plan is to lower their salaries. And this already seems to be accepted once the contract is agreed upon. They're going to lower the salaries. There'll be smaller budgets for each of the region's but more success demanded on the field. So if you don't get that success, your smaller salary will get even smaller.
1: Yeah, so there's a higher percentage than than previous of a, an already smaller salary is going to be based on performance, yeah, your 20%. individual performances and your team performances, which, as things stand, are not good for the Welsh provinces mm. and yeah. presumably will get worse Given that they're going to have a lower quality of player to attract yep. with they're the lower
0: salary, the so player performances are, are these the keep ratings? Is that yeah. what That's using? what's written
1: into the thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what, what do the keep say? But uh, just as, just to mention, there, there was. Mm. Uh, A quote that was was given to the Daily Mail, which I think really hit home to a lot of people, from a player who apparently has played in both of Wales Six Nations matches so far, an unnamed Mm -hmm. player. I can't believe I'm five months away from the end of my contract and eight months away from the World Cup and my future isn't certain yet. I can't apply for a mortgage and I'm on antidepressants. I'm also one big injury away from not having a job in July, yet I'm starting Mm -hmm. for Wales every week and the WRU is making tens of millions from international matches. So mm. this is like a not quite a collective bargaining ag- agreement, but it's along those lines that should have been sorted a long time before now. Yeah. and and hasn't been. That that would set out the parameters under which all the the clubs have to operate. Yeah. But that hasn't been sorted and the, and, and why it's uh, what it remains unseen like brings or can, can sign you get signed up to new contracts or anything like that.
3: Yeah. yeah, and it might seem like an ultimatum from the Welsh players now ahead of what is the biggest payday of the Welsh rugby season you know England coming mm. to town and saying look we need it sorted by this Wednesday but this has been going on over a year now and ultimately like longer than that a decade really of mismanagement and then meanwhile the very well paid Warren Gatland is sitting on the fence a little bit with it all we'll get into this in the piece but as he attempts to motivate the same players uh, who are uh, trying to sort this contract uh, he's trying to motivate them for the, this game against England there's a little hint of um, let's all tighten our belts lads as yeah. his shirt buttons pop <laughs> <laughs>
1: Stephen Thomas of Wales Online their rugby correspondent is going to be chatting to us about that in just a minute we are also going to be talking of course about Ireland's yep. bid for the Grand Slam later in the week that'll be for World Service members a bid to win Thursday. 3 out of 3 own. yeah well let's get over the Italians first and you can't Capuzzo each, and all that
0: Uh step of a Grand Slam it, you are playing
1: you a Grand game, Slam to so. win every Joey back in the squad
3: yeah uh, Sexton is still recovering from a groin injury uh, Carberry comes back in Ross Byrne will almost certainly start against Italy now and it looks like I think Crowley will be on the bench I think Carberry's just been brought in as cover I although he played very well at the weekend against the Ospreys I think Crowley will remain as sort of the third choice um, Dan Sheehan and Keane Healy are back training They've recovered from their respective hamstring strains. Gibson Park, Tyke Furlong and Henshaw are still out. Mm. Um, Tyke Byrne has gone for the whole of the Six Nations. We knew that already, though. Henderson will start and Ryan Byrd will come on the bench. He's been in great form I do wonder, will these bite at some stage? If we
1: pick up a few more injuries against Italy and you're getting down to Scotland mm-hmm. and England and up to now we're just it's amazing how you lose for example Tyghe Furlong the best tight end mm. prop in the world and you get Finley Bealham playing basically to tight Furlong levels including yeah. in a playmaking role it's crazy how these things mm. are happening but I don't well, know you, you, surely there comes a point where it's like okay our team is slightly worse now because yeah. we keep getting I think Tom
3: O'Toole the, is nearly the more surprising part your, your third choice tight head you, nobody even discusses Tom O'Toole because he doesn't even necessarily start for Ulster mm. then he comes on against France I, I would have thought before the weekend the best team in the world and plays brilliantly for the, and says he's really confident and feeling good about himself so we're going as deep into the depth charts as we ever imagined, but it depends in what position and how deep you go. You, you know, you can get really unlucky, and a lot of them happen in the center or the wing or whatever, and you're yeah. down to like fifth or sixth choice. That but hasn't. Whereas happened. you have seventeen back rowers all
1: capable on their day of winning the Player of the Match award. Yeah, it's a one in three <laughs> chance. On <Coombs laughs> they're, got they're a, perfectly capable. Coomes yeah. got a hat trick at the weekend, and he probably won't get into the squad. Yeah, okay. Members of this week will also get a Gaelic football podcast tomorrow featuring Paul Flynn with special guests. To be announced tomorrow. Uh, with three rounds into the into the league already, and Liverpool against Madrid coverage in the Champions League during the week. Right now, let's talk Six Nations.
0: Yeah, my apartment's going to be stacked full of lads. I've to be 10 lads coming over for the whole thing. So it's going to be absolutely carnage. It's going to be absolutely carnage. Absolutely carnage. It's going to be absolutely carnage. Absolutely carnage. It's be stacked full of lads. We've got to be 10 lads coming over. carnage. Simon,
1: I don't know what you're doing, toweling off there. Keep that top off and hit that bomb one more time. A couple of weeks ago, we had Stephen Thomas on from Wales Online talking about the crisis that Welsh rugby has been in over the last number of weeks. Their chief executive actually had just resigned at the time, Steve Phillips, after allegations of sexism, misogyny and racism within the sports governing body in the country had emerged. And they seem to be lurching from one crisis to the next because this England fixture at the weekend remains in jeopardy with talk of possible strike action by the players the, the Welsh the players rugby players in Wales at the professional level over issues that I guess you can explain for us now Stefan great to have you back on the pod
5: Thanks for the invite
1: What is the background to all this? What What's the issue that the players have?
5: We've got a lot of issues to be fair um, so if we were to rewind to the start of this so the the Welsh Rugby Union and its four professional regions have been busy negotiating a new six-year financial framework um, to take the game forward. Now they've been negotiating this since, since probably last summer. So they, first of all, before Christmas, they agreed a, a verbal agreement. Uh, now they've signed heads of terms, but of course, the the chief executive of the Welsh Rugby Union, Steve Phillips, resigned. So you know they, they've obviously tried to. Change some of those terms um, and they haven't even seen the long form agreement yet. But the the key point is throughout the whole um, period of time where they've been negotiating, there's been a, a freeze on, on offering players contracts, um, not just ex- uh, players they want to sign externally, but the players that they've got on their books at the moment. And roughly there's about 90 players in Wales out of contract. Now, you speak to any rugby agent. And they will tell you that the vast majority of business gets done by Christmas, January at the very latest. Uh, now we're in February, we're, we're nearly in March, and uh, there's ninety players in Wales out of contract, without uh, you know, without any uh, any idea what they're going to be doing next season. Um, so effectively, um, this new deal. Um, it's centred around the fact that if you look at the situation in English rugby with, with wasps and Worcester going to the wall, um, there's been an argument for a very long time that Welsh rugby is unsustainable for, from a financial point of view. Um, they'd argue that we're spending too much on wages. Uh, we're spending more on wages than, than we're actually making. Um, which which is which is a fair point, but of course it's the players that are are going to suffer in the end, and um, the players have made it very clear that it's actually not about money; it's just about certainty. They just want certainty on what they can do next season, and if they don't want to be, if they're not going to get kept on, they can make alternative plans, etc. And of course, you know, if a player takes the field, there's always a risk of. Again, again, a big injury. So the players have had a, an absolute uh, gutsful of, of the situation and the Welsh players, you know, really, um, really admire them for it. They, they've taken a stand. Um, they've said that if you don't get three key situations um, solved by Wednesday, and that's two days' time this Wednesday, then, um, you know, it's a very real possibility that they'll strike for the England game which will um, cost the WU in the region of £9 million, not, not to mention the harm in the, the economy in Cardiff, because obviously a lot of pubs obviously rely on the, the money they make from uh, Six Nations games. Um, so the three, um, the, the, the three main points are they want the 60-cap rule scrapped. So for any Irish listener that mm-hmm. isn't aware of this, if, if, you're, if you're a Welsh international and you want to play for Wales, then you have to, you can only move outside of the country and carry on playing for Wales if you have 60 caps or if you're an cap player. So they want to get rid of that because obviously, you know, a lot of players would like to move abroad because they can actually get some, some certainty, of, uh, you know, and uh, and they can know what their income is for next season. Um, also, they want uh, player representation on the professional rugby board, which is a, a board made up of uh, WIU um, members and um uh, the chairman of uh, all four um, professional regions. So they they want um, they want representation on that, uh, and they also want to get rid of the. F- there's a new thing called the fixed variable elements of contracts. So in the new contracts, there's so, so effectively. Um, so for argument's sake, a player. Say you've got a, a player that's an international and he's in and out of the squad. You know, he's a fringe international player. He could get offered, say, um, 180 grand a year. Uh, but a lot of that is sort of dependent on um, whether he meets certain targets like the amount of games the re- region wants him to play that season, uh, injuries, performance markers as well in terms of amount of games won, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And that accounts for 20% of of the contract. Um, mm. So you could understand really why, why the players are, are a bit, um, a bit annoyed about that. And the, the key point is as well, that next season, the, as you, your listeners will know that the Welsh regions have been um, struggling really badly on the hole in, in the URC and, and in Europe um, down the years, um, and they're struggling on budgets of, say, £6 million at the moment, well, next season, the, the salary cap um, or the budgets will be, or over the next two seasons, because they'll need to phase in, will be about £4.5 million. Um, so they're expecting players to perform, um, you know, they've got this fixed variable element of the contract, so they're expecting players to hit these markers um, with less money than they're on now, and also obviously that would mean there's smaller squads and um, you could argue that it's a danger players getting rushed back from injury etc so the whole thing's a mess but um, uh, currently Wednesday is D-Day in Welsh Rugby uh,
1: it's, it's, it's well explained and it sounds as though Stefan y- you think the players have a very fair argument here that, that they, they've they been left in this very vulnerable position. I mean, would that be a view shared at the moment by a lot of Welsh rugby fans? Would they accept the sacrifice of a Six Nations fixture against England because the players deserve more than what they have?
5: Yeah, I, th- I think that the players um, have got every right to um, threaten strike, if not strike. And I think that, I can't speak for every Welsh person, sure. but I think the majority of people I've spoken to would would support them. Um, you know, the, at the end of the day, the players are your assets, and um, you know, a lot's been made of the age profile of Gatlin's squad, and perhaps players aren't a lot of players aren't what they were. But the fact of the matter is, last ten years or so has been hugely successful from a Welsh rugby point of view at test level, and a lot of these players have put their bodies on the line. They've delivered a huge amount of success for Wales, and yeah, I, th- I think they've got every right to. And and the thing is, it's not I admire the the Welsh team because, um these are the, the top tier players in Wales. The, the, a lot of them are British Lions, British and Irish Lions. And, but they're, they're also standing up for your run-of-the-mill regional players. Mm. Um, like you had Dragon Centre, Jack Dixon, said in a press conference last week, You know, and, and all respect to Jack, he's a good, solid club player, but he's probably never going to play for Wales. And he said, you know, he's out of contract at the end of the season. He's got a young family, his wife's heavily pregnant, and he doesn't know what he's going to be doing next season. And you look at, at the situation in England, you know, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, the Wasps and Worcester situation, they got a salary cap, so there's not as many places available in England. And as is February, most squads are, are you know, are, are pretty full for next season. Um, so these players, you know, and then Jack plays against Leinster in the weekend and goes off with injured. And, you know, it looked a pretty nasty injury. So they're standing up for these regional players who are probably never going to play for Wales. And they're the ones, that middle tier player, that those are the ones that are really going to feel a consequence because they they will be out to contract. A lot of them won't be retained because of, um you know the budget's going down. There won't be room in English clubs. They might they might be able to go to France, maybe the Pro D two, but obviously it's not for everyone. They go look at the, the the family situation. So they're really standing up for them. Uh, I think I think that the PRB um, and, and Warren Gatlin said as well. You know the players have been overpaid in Wales. Well, that, that's that's a matter of opinion. Uh, but what is correct? Yeah, so is he,
1: that, he said the players are being overpaid in Wales.
5: Yeah. Not necessarily overpaid, but perhaps we've been paying too much on wages right. um, over the years, and um, that's that's all online if you want, if you want to yeah. check that. But uh, ultimately, we, the, the whole point is we've been paying more in Wales than we're actually making on player wages. So that that's the the, the whole the whole argument to sort of say that we need to push wages down to make the regions more sustainable fine that that's that's a business decision that that's fine but it's the it's this contract freeze it's the uncertainty that's what the players are up in arms about the players have been very clear and they've said this isn't actually about money this is about the uncertainty and getting clarity over what we're going to do next season and I've actually been a supporter of the 60 cap law because I think I think there's been too much emphasis on the national side, and I think it um, the regions need you know they, they obviously need to try and strengthen the the regional sides as well. And obviously, if you've got players playing overseas, then it it hampers your sort of preparation for for international games, or players missing training and stuff. But at the moment. You could argue that keeping a sixty cap law is immoral because obviously the you know players just want to make a living. They they just they just want to know where they're sort of where they're going to be getting their wages from in uh, you know four or five months' time. So yeah, to answer your question, I, I've gone round in circles here, but yeah, I, I think the vast majority of people would be behind the players, and uh, I think they've been uh, treated appallingly and all this.
3: What about Gatlin's role in all this, as you hinted there? Do you think, A, he knew about this before he took the job? And B, do you think he's in a strange position given we know, I think he's on a salary around 500 or 600K at the moment?
5: Well, he must have known. Um, you know, th- this is nothing new. Um, obviously, the, the, the st- threat of strike is, is new. But if he actually did his research, which, which I assume he had done, then he would have seen that there was a contractual freeze that um budgets were going down next season. You know, this this is nothing new that's just popped out of thin air of the last two weeks and he, he must have known it. You know, he knew he was inheriting a, a team that was struggling. Um and it's not just the national teams all all rugby in Wales, grassroots really struggling for participation. The regions you guys see week in, week out, you know, bar the odd result, that you know the they they're having I week in, week out, which is which isn't great. Um so he, he would have known this. Um so, yeah, but, you know, in, in terms, I think I know where you're getting at. In, in the press conference, you know, Gatlin was clear that, you know, he was back in the players, but back, not back in a strike. But, you know, I have some sympathy for Gatland, You know, what what's he supposed to say? Yeah. You know, he's getting paid by the Welsh Rugby Union. He can't say, oh, yeah, strike for this game and cost my employers £9 million. You know, he's got he's got to be careful what he says. So I think that, that you know, people might be a bit harsh on him there. But, yeah, the, the point is relevant, you um, you know, he's he's the national coach. He's probably getting paid more than what well, he is getting paid more than all the players. So, um, and and the p- players will also say that they'll be taking pay cuts next season, but the chief executive won't. You know, that that's that's also part of the argument as well. There's there's a, a real unfairness about everything.
3: Just to boil down the Welsh Rugby Union's plan, whatever gets done it, or doesn't get done in the contract, but their basic plan seems to be less funding. Uh, less pay for the players, but it demands for more success and your salary depending on that success.
5: Yeah, p- pretty much. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, obviously, I've been I've been covering Welsh rugby for a long time, um, so I've been in the thick of it. But I suppose if you're if you're listening to this podcast now. And you only have a passing interest in welsh rugby you'd be you, you, you'd be listening to that statement that you've just made and you'd be thinking that that is ludicrous and and you'd be right it's it's I, i've read the heads of terms and there is absolutely no way whatsoever that any of the regions can be successful with this um it, it's borderline immoral because the key point is the, the the problem is that the former welsh the welsh rugby this has been coming for the best part of a decade so you first had um, Roger Lewis, the chief executive of the Welsh Rugby Union, um, and he wanted to pay off the debt on the stadium far too quickly. Uh, and, and, and you know, he, he effectively sort of, the, the Welsh Rugby Union as a whole, they, they put so much emphasis on the national side. Yes, OK, it's the pinnacle, great. But it, it starved everything underneath, and you compare that to Ireland. The Irish Rugby Union have invested in everything. They've done it the right way. Um, and then, you know, you had Martin Phillips coming in. He had some good ideas, but he didn't last. And then Steve Phillips comes in, who was financial director for the best part of 15 years. And if you look at the heads of terms, he did not want to take any risk on. He didn't want the union to take any risk on. And he put all the financial risk on its supply chain, the regions. Um, and he wants the the benefactors of all four regions um, who were... Um, almost put to one side uh, under uh, Phillips' predecessor, Martin Phillips, because he wanted to create the most sustainable model. He's got them to come back, sign personal guarantor forms, that they'll cover any losses, and also they'll cover any losses, any shortfall from the union as well. It it, it is, it's immoral, That's, that's that's the correct term. But the elephant in the room is... And a lot of people would be up in arms at this statement. The elephant in the room is the fact that Welsh rugby simply cannot afford afford four professional teams. It can't, you know, it hasn't hasn't got the right amount of players, it hasn't got enough money. Um, Realistically, they need to go down to three teams. That nearly happened in the past. Been Scarlets and Ospreys mer- nearly merged. It's actually signed heads of terms to merge in 2019, and that fell through. But we we have not got enough top class professional players in Wales, or enough money for th- for four professional teams. But the problem is that's it's a, you know they wanted to make that decision. They wanted the regions to make that decision amongst themselves. But that's like you know being a dad and telling your children, "I've only got enough money to feed uh, one of you, so you decide which one of you." Mm. Decide amongst yourself which one of you starves and dies you know what they need is in 2002 2003 David Moffat former chief executive not very popular in Wales but he came in he realised we had too many professional teams and he cut them down to four created region or five originally got rid of the Celtic Warriors we had four everyone hates him but it was absolutely the right decision they need another person like Moffat to come in to make tough decisions and ultimately you know they, they, they just need to reset they need to fund the game properly probably they need to remortgage the stadium and, and and put more debt on that and, and put that money back into the game but ultimately the, the, the reality is they probably need to go down to three teams but there's no one with the guts to make those decisions in Welsh rugby
1: Yeah I'm looking at the fixtures on Saturday the Ireland game is on first and then it's Wales England at quarter to five in the Principality Stadium is that going to take place what's your what would be your feeling at this stage Stephen?
5: My gut feeling and, and this is purely a gut feeling is that it will take place um as i said it's the players are in a real difficult position because you know the welsh as i said the welsh rugby union would lose about nine million pounds roughly give or take if this if this fixture was called off and ultimately that that's going to hurt the players as well um so i think you know the all the emphasis in welsh rugby is all about the national side And i just think they will concede some of these points um, whether they scrap the 60 cap law or, or, or amend it, bring it down to 20 or 30, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, I think they'll they'll try and they'll definitely get player representation on the PRB. I think that will definitely happen. Um, one thing that um, they've been strong on is this fixed variable element of contracts. I think that could be the um, the, the performance the, the pers- related pay essentially. Performance related pay, effectively, yeah. Um, so I think that that could be the a decisive factor but my gut feeling is that they do enough to get this game to go ahead because if it doesn't it's just going to be an absolute disaster and an embarrassment on Welsh rugby.
3: If it does go ahead what's what do you think the players the Welsh players mindsets will be um can you see it potentially benefiting them in some way and Gatland Mm. kind of harnessing that in some sort of way?
5: I think it's going to be very difficult um you know, only the players can truly answer how they're going to react. But if you look at the first two performances, like Ireland are a better team in Wales, obviously. Scotland are playing well. But can you honestly tell me, man for man, that Scotland are 30 points better than Wales? No. I, I wouldn't no. say so. I don't think I'm being biased saying that. So you'd have to say that the reality is that this... This uncertainty, like they don't know if they're going to have jobs in a few months. This uncertainty has probably affected performance. They'll probably, you know, they play in England a whole. Well, they're playing, the definitely end.
3: playing worse under Gatlin than they did towards the end of yeah. the. Yeah,
5: yeah, I think I think you're right. Um, so I, th- I think obviously they'll have a point to prove against England, the old enemy, but. I just, I just fail to see them being able to maintain the performance levels required to, with all this in the background to, to beat England. Um, they're not a great team, but they're a very strong team, physical team, the sort of team that Wales would, would struggle against. So my, I, I honestly think Wales will be going to Rome looking to avoid in a few weeks' time looking to avoid a whitewash they're not going to beat France Uh, they'll probably have a hiding out there so yeah I I, I don't see them beating England I I think when they go to Rome they'll be to avoid a wooden spoon and a a first whitewash since um, 2003
1: Stefan brilliant stuff thanks for talking to us
5: thanks very much
2: and he is my second captain second captain Uh that's a humorous competition I saw that important men for my selection
0: What is
1: it all about? Yeah.
5: There's no telling us about the peak.
3: David yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Clipper! Dumbledore!
5: Hey, yeah. no yeah, yeah. I love the
3: county.
5: It's a dump. We're going to do it.
1: Just a quick reminder that if you are signed up to the World Service you will be hearing Paul Flynn tomorrow for the first time in a little while along with the special guest Mick McCarthy rule and all that but yeah. Paul Flynn on with I mean, a, I have a high profile profile I mean I have guest. booked someone. No, it's, it is it's not it like is booked saying, but let's oh, oh, oh.
0: Yeah. wait until you hear who I've got for you yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, don't worry yeah. about it. No, just don't good. you ask any questions as long as there are no further questions that guest has been booked. Mm. It's not one of those situations. I actually have... You want to give a hint? Yeah, if you think you can give a hint. We,
1: we got an email in from a... I presume Donegal based listener mm. who was giving us dogs abuse for. Covering Lee Keegan's retirement like was the biggest story <laughs> in the history of sport, and then ignoring the retirement a few weeks previously of another player of another very high-profile Gaelic footballer. Yes, so more than a hint that could be. Yeah, that's too much of a hint. there. If, if
0: Simon th- can figure it out, then it's definitely too much of a hint. Yeah,
1: true enough. Where was it going with this? Oh yeah, just to mention today that you've got a new GA Overlord, Murph, <laughs> Arma, former Armagh captain Jarlath Burns is has been voted in as the GA president elect. And he spoke.
2: Phone, please
1: yeah, he give spoke. him his proper title. This clip has been going around quite a lot in the last week or so. He spoke strongly on the GA social podcast recently.
2: I have a serious curiosity and interest in British culture and in Unionist culture and in Orange culture. The Orange Order in our school all the time talking to our young people, really, really and get them to understand what that is about, what parading is about, you know, what walking to give witness to their sincere belief in the Reformed faith is about. And if we show in our organisation that we have sympathy and an understanding for, their, for the culture of the Protestant people in Northern Ireland, maybe then when we ask them to respect our culture, they will. Because it can't be our culture and nobody else's. There is a significant British population who reside in this part of Ireland and they feel under siege and they are misunderstood in many respects. And they become outraged and furious about very many stuff because they feel their backs are against the wall. And because we are becoming a majority, we cannot do Yahoo. We can do what we want now with our flag and anthem. But I think that the GAA is a good example of how you do those things sensitively. We are proud to be Irish. The Irish flag is my flag. It's not everybody's flag. But what I was trying to say back then would be, I would be open to a situation in a new Ireland, and a new Ireland wants to be fully inclusive of all traditions and faiths, that it may be a compromise that we have to make. And it wouldn't be a very big one for the big praise of having a United Ireland, which would be a dream for me.
1: So, Murph, I've mm. got a two-prong question. In Over the course of what will be a three-year term for John yes. Burns... Will a United Ireland be achieved? <laughs> and more contentiously, will he be able to properly define what is a Gaelic football tackle? Yeah, I mean, I think... <laughs> that's <laughs> going to be the harder one to get out These are the, the, the
0: twin tracks of Gareth Burns' Uchturansi. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, no, I mean, the, the question there was actually about some comments that he made a number of years ago, which got a lot of... Which attracted a lot of attention, which is basically, he said, we should have a discussion about... The tricolour being flown at GA games, and we should have a discussion about Aron uh, Aron being played okay. uh, before games. <laughs> and he he made the point that he kind of remade again. There, it's like we should talk about this. It, of course, we're very proud of our culture and our flag and all the rest. But maybe it makes other people feel a little uncomfortable. And if it makes people feel uncomfortable, then maybe we should try and change that. Um, and when he spoke, when he said this the, uh, the first time I heard him say it, I was just well, like that's absolutely the case. That is absolutely a discussion we should be having, and it's one hundred percent things that we can lose that don't really cost us a whole a whole amount. We're not less Irish people just because a flag isn't flying at a GA game, and like navin is a bit of a bugbear of mine to be honest. Like for instance, if you sat down yesterday to watch TG Garr, you would have heard navin Three times. <laughs> sure, like they, they, I it's played before every single one of these league games. Like, I played football for a long number of years. I only ever played two games where Aron Navine was played before the game started, it was, uh, like a county final and a Connacht under 21 final. And they were massive moments for me in that. Uh, like, Aron Navine is like a, a moment that that signifies this is a big it's, game. It's part of the, the big game. The pageantry. pageantry. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. If, if you're Paul Flynn, you've literally stood there hundreds of times, league game after league game. After, like, there's no reason for it. And oftentimes, like I was in Tune yesterday, like this horrendous PA system playing out like this very antiquated version of our own Levine. Like, it's not as disrespectful, but it's like, what are we doing this for? It's, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, you're, to yeah, me. So, so you're saying it's just played too often, but like, but if you want to
1: remove it entirely, that's a different thing, isn't it? What if you, if they just said, okay, we're going to exactly. play it all on
0: final day, yeah. and that's it? But you're still playing it. So. Yeah, well, no, no and Jared Burns is not saying get rid of it entirely. He's just like, of course, but when it, when we pl- when we play it, it should signify something. It should signify that this is a big game. I, he's not talking about getting rid of it all the time. He's not getting right, right. talking about of getting rid of it. I don't know, Aaron, He's talking like Monaghan against Donegal in the, you know, third round of the Allianz football league. Goal against Throne. Like, we don't need to be hearing our own of if, you all the be. But say the other community, mm. obviously don't identify with that. Yeah. It's not their anthem.
1: And we want to bring them into our games and we want to achieve this solidarity and all this kind of stuff. Do you not have to go the whole hog then and just say, right, we're not playing, we're just not playing this anthem. This isn't no, part of Gaelic. No, games No, I don't
0: think so. I, I, I don't think that's the case. I mean, I, I, I think... If if you've if you create an atmosphere at uh at, at a lower level where this thing it's it's just that can be that can be seen as ramming it down the throat of people who are a little uneasy about it. Whereas if you play it at the four provincial finals and at the All Ireland final, then okay, you're making a point about it. Then it really means something. There is a trophy at stake here. It's it, and it it symbolises this the the. That this is a special occasion as opposed to it being played regardless of the of the scenario at at Indra County level. I just I I just thought it was like an easy win. It in is so interesting ways. to have this to have this
1: character at this time yes. who clearly, you know, different GA presidents make more a lot of them don't make very much of an impression at all, to be honest mm. with you. They're there for three years. It's 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 not an easy organization to move along in that short space of time. But at a very interesting time for the country, uh I think it's quite noteworthy that this is the guy who's come in with,
0: the, with quite a—I don't know if a mandate is the right word—but he he was mm. fairly comfortably voted in. Well, he's a guy who captained his county to a Ulster title, which automatically puts him into a very very kind of distinct bracket of GA president, i.e., I- someone who has played at the highest level. And for like the the presidency is like for for years been like the ascension. Of people who have dedicated their lives to being an administrator, not a player or not a manager, that that has been kind of their experience of the GA. They've gone up the administrative the administrative ladder, and this is kind of the the final step for them. Whereas with Charlotte Burns, he's never actually served as chairman of a provincial council or anything like that, or even of uh, the Armagh County Board. So he's coming at it with from a different perspective, which automatically I think ramps up the pressure on him a little bit to be like, okay. You can actually be a little bit of a fresh voice in this, uh, you know, very regimented <laughs> organization where you take these these uh, kind of intermediary steps to get to the big job. He's he hasn't done that. He's come at it from a different direction. He has a son who's an exceptional footballer playing for one of the f- probably six best teams yeah. in the in the country, Jarzog Burns. So. He actually has like a lot of different perspectives to other presidents that we would have seen over the course of the last 15 or 20 years. So automatically, I think hopes are a little higher that he might be able to achieve something above and beyond the kind of careful stewardship, Mm. uh, you know, bracket of GA presidents. Um, How likely it is that that actually happens, you know, really... You know, if you want to really create change in the GA, you become the director general and you try and move it that way. But that's, you know, like it it is very, very difficult for a president to uh, affect real change. But if you're talking about the country and the, the, the kind of coming noise over the border pole, and he's spoken in the past about how the GA shouldn't shy away from the fact that they have an opinion on it, you know? And what what, what would that opinion be? (laughs) Well, what do you think, God? Yeah, Uh, yeah, but I mean... What did he say on that? What did he say on whether or not they should? uh, In the climate where there would be a border poll called, it would be incumbent on all civic organisations to take a position on it, and it wouldn't be shock therapy to anybody to hear that the GA, who have always ignored partition very (laughs) honourably... Such a brilliant phrase. It, it wouldn't be shock therapy to hear anybody to hear that the Ga who have always ignored partition very honourably would want to see a united Ireland. That is my dream and it is not a subversive dream to have. It is a very valid perspective particularly in the context of Brexit but we'd have to do it very responsibly. So I yeah, mean, saying the GAA uh, w- w- would like a united Ireland
1: obviously, as he says there, I mean, come on. Yeah. But at the same time, if on the one hand you're talking about whether or not about sort of hands across the border type stuff let's get a, uh, the other community involved in this and then the other you're saying we want a united Ireland mm. which will immediately alienate
0: vast swathes of that community
1: What
2: border on?
0: Well yeah. <laughs> <enough>. Well actually do <laughs> you say that right when was the last time you drove south on the M1 the A1 turning into the M1 that was, from Belfast to Dublin That was pre-Covid times In
2: my in case November
0: uh, Ken did you uh, did you see the, the big sign welcoming everyone to the Republic of Ireland southbound.
2: Uh I don't know if I noticed it.
0: No sign. I mean, can... No such sign exists.
2: Yeah. So if no, you're traveling
0: north it. it says welcome to Northern Ireland. When you're traveling south it says Welcome to County Life. So just another county, you
2: know. Yeah, exactly.
0: Of the 32. So uh like if you if you're saying to Jarrett Burns, well you can't be saying that. It's like literally the government of Ireland have decided, you know, you know, you know, what we're saying we're actually saying it. You know that you're, you know, you're in loud, and mm. like the signs are now in Irish, and like the kilometer sign there. Yeah. So you know, like we are in kind of a different. I guess different I'm talking more about the say. the border
1: in the heads of people on. Yes. The two in the two different communities. The Spiritual border, Sp- the spiritual border there that exists. Yeah. So do you know what I mean? It's, sorry, without being facetious, but it, it's it, it will be fascinating to see how that all works. You know, what absolutely. I mean? it yes. is, like I've I, be interested now. Within the unionist community, how that all goes down—that he, because he seems to be speaking in a very sensible way and in a very, in a way that should be welcoming, mm. you know—but at the same time, it's like we want a united Ireland, which yeah. is obviously
0: kind of, you know, yeah. gets gets on the wrong side of some people yeah. in those communities. I mean, he he welcomed he welcomes the Orange Order into his school all the time. He's a principal of a secondary yeah. school in in Armagh. I mean, I don't know that you could do a whole lot more. You know, why, like he's, he's why, why does he do that? <laughs> what? Cause he wants what's that about? He wants the, the children under his care to understand a little bit about what's going on on the in the other communities. I think that's fairly valid. Why, why are you surprised about that, again
2: The Orange Order, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, We're all learning a, should, here. Do Ken. we have that much? Do we have that much to learn from the Orange Order?
0: Well, I think you do, even if you like, well, I mean, I think the idea here is that you you let them speak and then you allow children and adults to make up their mind about what exactly, whether they're making a whole pile of sense or not. And I think that that's a pretty refreshing thing to do in Northern Ireland. I mean, you know, the, the, it's the easy thing to do in the north of Ireland is to retreat to your respective corners. And I don't think Jarrett Burns is that type of person. Yeah. So for that alone, yeah. I think it's go, it's it's a very interesting Oh, no, yeah, no, yeah, I know it's Yeah, and I've just always really liked Jared Burns, yeah, to be honest.
1: A lot of people do, yeah, no, it does seem like it's it's been the best received appointment yeah. in, in an awful long time. Anyway. And
0: he loves his club and the a, a a huge number of Silverbridge club members were there waiting outside the hall for him to come out and celebrate with them. And it was just brilliant like absolutely brilliant scenes. And um yeah, I mean, I, I, it's not that I have particularly high expectations of him, but I do feel like when he when it when it comes time for him to stand up and actually say something, that he will he will put thought into what he says, and he he he's not that in, he's not that bothered about talking to the audience, the easy audience, and I I think that's a that's a really that that's a worthy thing to have in a GA mm. president,
1: and week. the properly defined tackle.
0: That's just not going to happen. Oh, well, listen, when it comes time, I'll hammer Gareth Burns. If he, if, he hasn't, if he doesn't deliver the goods for yeah. the next three years, oh I'm telling you, he's coming down the track. Thanks,
1: Murph. Thanks,
0: Si. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Simon, go good. Ken, go Come on, Luke Loss, Gale
1: Thanks so much for listening. More GAA talk tomorrow. Champions League coverage and loads more during the week if you sign up to the second captain's World Service. The podcasts will be ad free if you sign up as well, and of course, it would be remiss of me not to mention that the Second Captain's podcast is part of the AKS Creator Network. we too fast, to remember. <laughs> it's fun, is that?
2: That's the second time it gone on. They never home. They never home. They never home. Those, those, those boys. The Second Captain's World Service. It is not war and death and
3: famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's to persuade there's the world outside of that. That's why sport's important.
0: Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project,
1: there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new custom spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks,